First chapter, first scripture reading this morning is from the book of Matthew. Therefore I tell you not to worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Second reading. This is second reading from the book of John. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He's a prophet. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciples. We are the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Good morning, everybody. Oh, wait, I'm not using this. Can you hear me when I'm over here? Awesome. I'm Kara Marriott. I'm one of the pastors here at LMCC, and I'm really excited to be getting 2015 underway with you all here this morning. So thanks for being here. Um, I actually, I'm going to move this. I actually um, usually try and avoid using that passage in Matthew about not worrying about what you wear because 
I do so love clothes. <laughs> um, that really has nothing to do with today's sermon. It was just a little freebie confession for you all this morning, a little New Year's confession. My, my real New Year's resolution, though, is shorter sermons, so you're welcome. That should be start things off on the right foot. So are you ready for 2015? Have you thought about this? Um, in December... At Christmas time, we had a meeting of all the pastors and the ministry leaders, and we had a time of sharing where we sort of recapped 2014 and, and how it went for us and what it meant. And 2014, for a lot of people, was a time of real blessing, um, lots to be grateful for. And there were s- some other folks who I think won't mind me sharing are just ready to put that one in the books and move on. So we do so often find ourselves looking for the next thing, right? Onward and upward, or sometimes just plain old get me out of here. Um, whatever the perspective is on what's behind, we're so often trying to figure out the next steps on how to move forward. And there are many different milestones that occur in our lives, events, um, skills, desires, whatever, that cause us to stop and reassess and ask that inevitable question, is this all there is? Surely there must be more. Um, Jesus talked a lot in scripture about the kingdom of God living within us, which is the subject of our upcoming sermon series, Drawing Near, which Ryan probably mentioned a few minutes ago. He also talks a lot about letting go of worries, about loving and forgiving others, and about letting go of past resentments and regrets. And when you put all of those teachings together, they sound a lot like learning to live in the moment, being in the present moment with God. Psalm 46, which you read earlier during the call to worship, mentions that God is always with us. It opens with God as our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And then a few lines later, there's a very famous and important line, be still and know that I am God. In other words, be in this moment. Be in this moment and you will feel me. You will know that I am here and you'll feel my presence. There's a temptation to write off the importance of the here and now, this moment that we find ourselves in, especially if it's not going our way. What we don't see, though, is how this moment weaves into the fabric of our entire lives. We don't see where we're going with this. What is God doing with my life story? We don't understand what he's doing, not only in our own lives in this moment, but in the lives of the people around us that he's using us to touch. That's perspective that's difficult for us to have right here on the ground as humans. But scripture tells us there is a plan. There's a plan for every believer. And not just that there's a plan, but that it's a good one. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So the Lord has written out the plan for your life carefully and precisely. He knows what challenges and opportunities that we're each going to face in 2015 and beyond. And he knows how we're going to respond to those. He knows what the outcome will be in every situation. 
So if we also know and we believe, like Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, that God is working out good in every situation for his people, then the only logical choice for us is to submit and follow this plan because we know that it's going to be good. So regardless of how 2014 went for you, 2015 promises to bring a lot of opportunities and challenges and decisions. Some of you are already looking for a change in your life, a change in your career. Maybe you want to get married or start a family. Do I leave my job? Do I move to another city? For me, the answer to that question is really obvious. No, don't move to another city. Should I break up with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, or should we try to work things out? Should we have another kid? Do I get another dog? Again, the answer is no, do not get (laughs) another dog. Sometimes it's excruciating to try and figure out what to do, what step to take next. We would give anything for a Google Map app for our life. It would be so easy to figure out which direction to go if we could get that overhead view that shows us all the twists and turns, the wrong ways, uh, the dead ends, the shortcuts. We need that, right? To, To choose the best possible route and exactly how long it's going to take us to get from point A to point B. Wouldn't that be great if we had that map? But while there's not an app for that yet, there are clues in the Bible that tell us it's possible to navigate the future successfully. If we asked a biblical Siri, how do I find my way? She might quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Today, we're going to take those words of wisdom from Proverbs and try to put them into practical terms for our lives. Some of you know Ricky back there running the, the slides. Thanks, Ricky. I don't know if he's doing a good job or not. I can't see behind me, but he is running the slides. Ricky is a software developer. I'm not, is, that the word, is that what I call you? Okay, he's a software developer. He is a champion, uh, what do you call that, hackathon participant. He can make an app for anything. For anything. He's made a girlfriend app that behaves like your girlfriend right there on your phone. All the guys are like, yes, that is the kind of girlfriend I want. Um, so Ricky can make anything. And if we asked him today, would you build an app for my life to help me navigate my life from here on out? He would probably, after he got through chuckling, say, sure, I'll build that for you. But what is it? What are the features that you need in this app? And what we need in our app is we need a purpose. We need to find out who we are, uh, how to orient that little blue pulsating dot that identifies us in the journey that where we're headed. We need a timeline. We need to know where do we start? How long is all of this going to take? From one step to the next, how long should I expect until I need to make a change? We need a route. What's our mission? How do we make decisions with God's plan? What's the best way to go? And then finally, what's our destination? Where is all of this taking us? So let's look first at purpose. We have to find ourselves on this map. We have to identify ourselves, that little blue dot that moves around. Sometimes you're going the wrong way. Sometimes you're going the right way. But you're always there, and we have to be able to find ourselves on the map. 
Next year, our family gets to go through a process that I know many of you here are veterans of, which is our oldest son will be applying to high school in New York City. If you don't live here in New York City, if you've never gone through the hassle of just trying to get into a school, um, it's a joy, trust me. But oddly, I'm actually, and those of you who have been through it will probably roll your eyes at my naivete, but I'm actually sort of looking forward to this process. I just went to the high school that was two blocks away from our house. No questions asked. I just enrolled, showed up. There was no consideration of who I was as a person at that time in my life. What were my likes? What were my dislikes? What were my weaknesses and my strength? There was none of that. It was pretty much just, do you want to take Woodshop or Home Ec? That was the extent of my decisions. Woodshop, by the way, was the answer. Of course. Um, But New York City kids really have to decide... Uh, issues of identity and purpose before they go to high school. They have an assignment to discover who they are as a unique person separate from their parents or their teachers or other people in the community around them, their peers. And part of this identity search involves connecting and fitting into something that is bigger than they are. And then in a few years, they'll have to reassess as they choose whether or not to go to college and if they decide to go, where they're going to go. And then with any luck, a few short years later, four is the max that my kids are allowed, four years later, they're going to have to reassess again and they'll have to integrate who they are, who they've become with their life calling. And this calling is more than just a job. It's more than the the job that they've prepared for or will apply for. It has to do with their one reason for being. It will encompass everything that they do. It's their purpose. So this is why I'm excited about Hank getting to go through this process at such a young age. Can you imagine at 13 having to think about this kind of thing? What an opportunity. But young adults aren't the only people who have to come to terms with their higher cause. Many of us have gotten a bit of a later start on that task. Others need to stop and take a look wherever they are or at whatever stage of life they happen to be in. So we often find ourselves asking questions like, what's it all about? What have I been doing with my life all of these years? And not just a few of us actually end up making major changes Um, as we seek the answers to those questions. We want to align ourselves with this higher cause that brings new meaning with the way that we're spending our days. In Matthew 4, Jesus calls his first disciples, first Peter and Andrew, and the next James and John. They're all fishermen, two sets of brothers. And we're told in both cases at Jesus' invitation they immediately drop everything and follow him. And we don't know if these four guys had just recently undergone some sort of self-evaluation process, some self-examination in regard to the higher cause to which they're called. Maybe they were just sick and tired of fishing. I know for me that would have been a pretty easy sell if somebody came along and said, hey, drop those heavy tangled up nets. Walk away from those stinky fish that have been sitting out in the hot sun and step out of the boat full of smelly, disgusting guys and follow me. 
Sign me up. What? Sorry. What's your name? I'm Kara. I'm coming with you. Let's go. Let's do this. That would not be a tough sell for me. But in any case, these guys make a mid-course change in their lives that sparks our interest because with them, we share this universal question, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? To whom or to what do I give what I have to offer? Many of us are coming to realize that this life purpose has to be much bigger than the kind of self-seeking motive that seems to make the world turn. A life focused on itself in time becomes unfulfilled, boring, empty, and in some cases even tragic. Sidney Howard was a Pulitzer and Pulitzer Prize and Oscar-winning playwright and screenwriter. Um, in the 20s and 30s. He was one of the most prolific and successful by anybody's measure. And he used to write about the thing he wanted most was to be with his family. But because of the lifestyle they had set up for themselves, he had to spend most of his time away from his family in Hollywood trying to earn a living to support their lifestyle. An early 1936 diary entry of his read this way. Terribly depressed about money. God help us if we or I go on living in this idiot's way of giving up life for places to live in. And soon after he wrote those words, Sidney was in a fatal tractor accident on his farm in Massachusetts, and he never even knew that he won the Oscar for Best Screenplay for Gone with the Wind. We spend so much time trying to get someplace else that often we miss the opportunities right in front of us to live a real and abundant life. Uh, Henry Nowen is one of my favorite authors, beloved priest. He wrote these words. Aren't you, like me, hoping that some person, thing, or event will come along to give you that final feeling of inner well-being that you desire? Don't you often hope, may this book, idea, course, trip, job, country, or relationship fulfill my deepest desire? But as long as you're waiting for that mysterious moment, you will go on running helter-skelter, always anxious and restless, always lustful and angry, never fully satisfied. You know that this is the compulsiveness that keeps us going and busy, but at the same time makes us wonder whether we are getting anywhere in the long run. This is the way to spiritual exhaustion and burnout. This is the way to spiritual death. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus to do good works which God prepared us in advance to do. So our identity, our purpose, can only be found in the one who created us. First, we have to root ourselves in him, and then we can get going on our journey. Next, we're going to look at the timeline. When do I start, and how long is this going to take? One thing that strikes me as we read Matthew's account of Jesus calling the disciples is, of course, how quickly they respond. They leave their boats and follow Jesus immediately. They begin then and there without delay. There's, there's no information in Matthew about why Jesus chose these particular guys. Their qualifications 
don't seem to matter. There's no list of criteria that Jesus used to choose them. It almost seems impulsive and maybe even even haphazard. Why these four? Why take them away from the one source of stability and security in their lives? Why no mention of how this is going to affect their families? And yet, in the here and now, they begin to follow Jesus. And in that very moment, they plunge themselves into the deep end of this new work that they'd never dreamed of, never fathomed. And as a result, on the spot, their lives and ours were forever changed. So even though these four men acted quickly and on the spur of the moment, it doesn't mean that it was reckless or impulsive or haphazard. Their higher cause had actually been in place for a really long time, from the beginning. It was thousands of years old by the time Jesus came and called these guys. God had been preparing them for a very long time. Psalm 139 says, You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. So there's a temptation to claim that the time isn't right for us to answer a call on our lives or that we have certain deficiencies. I'm too busy with other things. I'm physically challenged. I'm emotionally challenged. I'm financially challenged. Join the club, right? We can all say those things. As would-be disciples, we think about this future time of service when we are ready, when we're old enough or wealthy enough. We'll take up the cause when we're finished with everything else that we wanted to accomplish or experience in life. Maybe when we're better educated or more mature. Discipleship is something for the future when the time and the place is right and when we're ready for it. Maybe it'll be our next year's New Year's resolution. When St. Augustine in the 4th century decided that not only would he become a Christian, but he would become a priest, he said his famous prayer, Lord, give me chastity and continence, but not yet. That's us. That's us. Not yet, God, later. Right now my hands are too full and my life is crowded I just need to get through these days. After the pressure's off, when I graduate, when I find a job, when the kids are older, when I have more time. But right now, I just can't do anything about this. We lived in Los Angeles before we moved to New York 13 years ago now. And a friend of ours was training to run in a marathon there. And she trained with... Uh, a running group for a year. A lot, a lot of you know how this goes. I don't even like to drive 26 miles, so I will. you will never catch me training for a marathon. But So our friend had been training for this marathon, and we all go out to watch her and cheer her on. And her brother, who's also our friend, is with us. And he shows up in running gear. He's got his shorts on and his sneakers. I'm like, what's up? What are you doing? He says, I'm going to run with her to encourage her and cheer her on. I'm thinking, what? Did you train for this? Didn't I just see you in a bar last night? What are you doing? And so he just hops on the course 
and runs with her the whole time. Probably if he wasn't running specifically to encourage her, he would have taken off and left her in his dust. So she prepared for a year. He jumped in in the spur of the moment. And so my point here is that that event was planned, the course was set, and the starting gun was fired regardless, completely independent of our friend's preparation or the lack of her brother's preparation. It happened anyway. It was going on regardless of how prepared they were. So the point is not necessarily that you have to drop everything and leave what you're doing right now. The point isn't that fishermen can't follow Christ. The point is, what it does mean is that right here, in the here and now, without any particular qualifications or preparation, that you can be a follower of Christ. And you can do what needs to get done to either identify yourself and align yourself with this higher cause. Some of you might be thinking right now, well, that's nice, but let me tell you something. My here and now sucks. It stinks to be me right now. Okay, fair enough. Um, I believe that. But the moment that you're currently living in will not last forever. What matters is what you do in that moment. It will clearly affect your outcome. Matthew 6, that Gary read earlier, said, don't worry. It won't give you a single moment back. Worry, in fact, takes away from the resources of God's people. In the words of YouTube sensation Sweet Brown, ain't nobody got time for that. 2 Corinthians four sixteen to 18 says this, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We have to elevate ourselves up out of this human time system to understand God's timeline. We can't measure life in terms of days and weeks and months and years or even successes and failures. Eternal life isn't starting at some point in the future, at some moment we haven't yet experienced. It's already begun. The starting signal went off and the event is happening. So don't keep your focus down. Don't look down looking for things to change around you. Look up. They're already happening. So next we're going to look at our mission, which is how do we choose the route? How do we know the right way to go? The good news is in scripture, Jesus is pretty clear on his step-by-step directions for us to take in order to follow his plan for our lives. In Matthew 16, 24, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's great. I can work with that. It's a three-step plan. Deny yourselves, take up your cross, follow me. That's it. 
The bad news is those are pretty high stakes. And then he follows that with some confusing stuff about getting lost. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus doesn't call us to follow him and live a certain way because that's the way to get to some concrete destination where we then receive our reward because of our righteousness. Instead, Jesus calls us to walk a certain way because doing so, the journey, is an end unto itself. The reward is attempting the hard work with him by our side. He focuses us on the effort and not the outcome. The main concern is the project rather than the completion. Rabbi Tarfan, who is a rabbi in the second and third century, said, It is not yours to finish the task, neither are you free to desist from it. So the process of living and working and making decisions can be really difficult. Sometimes we're going to come up short. The truth is, you may leave a few bucks on the table. You may end up landing the dream job and then the company goes belly up the next year. You may find out that your Prince Charming or your Guinevere ended up being the one that got away. Or you might score a record deal or be named the next CEO or buy a winning lottery ticket. They're just, nothing's guaranteed for us. But none of those specific things are the point. God's plan for you doesn't necessarily include specific right turns and left turns. His plan is to never leave our side. His plan is to bail us out when we make wrong decisions or when things go wrong. And his plan is to take all of those things that don't go the way that we intended them to and turn them into something good. That's his plan. He leaves those choices up to us, not out of indifference, but out of power and out of knowing that we can't screw this up. So if we want to choose the best route and ensure the best outcome, we actually have to give up all hope of reward, all plans for gain, and instead take up our cross and follow him. The main character in House of Cards, which thanks to the holidays Dan and I are finally caught up on, is Frank Underwood, and he lives by this mantra of power over money. And in a way, Frank is right, because compared to the power of knowing Christ, everything else is garbage. So now let's look at the destination. Where is all this leading us? There are a lot of uncertainties in this life, but some things we know for sure. The passage from John 8 that Gary read earlier about the blind man that Jesus healed is one of my favorites from all of scripture. This guy uses my kind of logic. He has that decision tree, spreadsheet sort of uh, system that I like to cling to when I'm trying to work my way through a dilemma. So when the Pharisees are all worked up because he's being uncooperative in their indictment of Jesus for breaking the law, he says this, you know, you guys 
are remarkable. You guys are jumping to all sorts of conclusions and you don't really have a grip on the facts. So let's stop and look at what we know and what we don't know. So here's what we don't know. I don't know whether or not this guy is a sinner. You don't know where he comes from. So those two things, I don't know what to do with that. That doesn't really get us anywhere. So let's look at what we do know. Here's what we do know. We know that he restored my eyesight. We know that God listens to those who do his will. We know that nobody has ever heard of healing a man who was born blind. And we know that if this man were not from God, there's no way he could have done that. So, bam, there's your answer. He's the real deal. I have a friend, a close friend, who is an immensely talented singer and for years was pursuing um, a career as a recording artist. This woman is a go-getter. She's an energizer bunny with endless amounts of energy. She's determined. Uh, She's bold. And this girl really loves God. But after years and years and years of effort and following leads and making connections, things still hadn't panned out for her. And she kind of hit a wall and entered into this time of darkness and real depression. And we were talking one night and she said to me, "Um, is it wrong for me to keep asking for this? Is it wrong for me to be asking God to make me a famous singer? can I still ask him for this or has he already given me the answer? And the answer is no, and that's why I keep running into these walls. And I just said to her, I don't know. I mean, does God intend for you to be a famous singer? I have no idea. But here's what I do know. I know that he intends for you to be the mom of the two gorgeous children and wonderful children that he's given you. I know that they need you in their lives right now. I know that God brought you this amazing husband, loving, he adores you. Um, And I know that he needs you. That's what I know about your life. And that's a pretty rich here and now that a lot of people, recording artists included, would trade everything to have. So I have no idea what God has in store for any of you either. People ask me that question all the time. It's probably the most discussed dilemma in our women's group, our Monday night women's group. What next? We all ask it every week pretty much. But if you come to me for advice on the options that you're facing right now, I'm going to have to tell you, I don't know. I don't know. But there's one thing that I do know with absolute certainty, and it's found in Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is what I know. 
The one thing that interested Jesus more than anything else was the harvest. I want you to, if you are taking notes, write this down. Well, first of all, you'd be the first person that ever took notes on anything I said. But write this down. The harvest is the point. The harvest is your point. The harvest is where it's all going. It's that red destination marker on our map that will never change. It's going to stay in the same place. And if you fix your eyes on that, you will never get lost. It was the harvest that moved Jesus to leave the ivory palaces of heaven and come down here to our world of darkness. He said in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The harvest is the reason that we are here. He said in John 20.21, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. We are called as laborers by the Lord of the harvest. Jesus didn't come primarily to heal the sick. He didn't come primarily to perform miracles. He didn't come primarily to raise the dead. He did all of those things, but he came primarily to preach the gospel, to tell the truth, to gather the harvest and bring people into the kingdom of God. When Jesus saw the hurting, helpless, and hopeless sheep, These walking wounded, the Bible says, he was moved with compassion. And too often we don't have compassion for the lost because we don't see them as spiritually needy. I know that there are walking wounded on the quaint cobblestone streets of lower Manhattan. Some of them might be dressed a little nicer than we would have imagined, but they're wounded just the same and they're walking the streets around us every day. You might even be one of the wounded. And I want to say a word about this community that we're in. I know, I believe that LMCC is here and now for a reason. I have no idea that when God brought Dan and I to New York City 13 years ago, if he brought us here specifically to be a part of this church, or if he just took a series of errant decisions on our part and and put them together and made what's been a pretty fantastic adventure. But I do know that I am changed because of the crazy things that I have seen him do in this church over the last 10 years. I believe with all my heart that the mission of this church is here and it's now. And I am not going to miss out being a part of that. So in closing today, you can ask that bigger question, how will I spend the rest of my life? But the immediate question, the more spiritually appropriate and on-target question is, where is your heart this morning? Is it in the here and now? Is it turned toward God? Is it tuned into God? Are you giving what you already have to offer? What's your calling? Not what you imagine that you should get done before the end of your life, but what can you do today? How are you going to answer his call? Can you hear him? There's a new time in history that's beginning today, beginning here and now. It's the time to follow Christ. This is the higher cause. You and I are being called to it just like those first four disciples were. And so how will you respond? Are you 
one of the walking wounded? Are you someone who's already decided to be a follower, but along the way have sort of lost focus? Follow him today wherever you are. Don't wait it out. There's never going to be a better time. Just do it here and now in the moments and the days and the years that you have remaining by God's hand. Bow your heads with me if you would. Um, You can silently pray along uh, with this prayer that comes from Psalm 39. Lord, remind me of how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hands. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. God, help me be still so that I can hear you. Help me respond boldly to your call on my life. Um, God, in the here and now, grant me strength and give me your peace. Amen.